welcome back to Brailcast Extra, and it's a slightly different tone to normal this week because we're featuring a presentation that we made for an external organisation. Visionary Linking Local Sight Loss Charities was established several years ago to promote closer working relationships between organisations in the blindness sector at a local level. So we're talking about local resource centres for the blind, uh, local uh, sight loss organisations, um, site support, vision support, all of those sorts of things that you would see in your local area. Most of them are part of the Visionary Network. In February 2022, Visionary ran their Tech Month, where lots of national organisations were given the opportunity to present to representatives of local blindness organisations. The Brailists was one of them. And on Tuesday, the 8th of February, I was privileged to present Braille Technology in Everyday Life. It lasted just about an hour. It's been edited slightly for brevity and I presented it with video on, so my microphone sounds slightly different. And I've decided to feature it on this episode of Brailcast Extra because every so often we get asked about Braille advocacy. Why would I want to learn Braille? And this presentation will hopefully answer some of those questions. I'll introduce it myself and the moderator for the session is Lucy Williams. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, quite a few familiar faces. That's quite nice. It's always nice to present to familiar faces. They're not as scary as unfamiliar faces. I'm Matthew Horspool. I uh, am part of the Brailleists Foundation. Our mission is simply more Braille. And uh, so we're a, a, a not a particularly big, actually, little charity. Um, started in 2014 um, doing stuff for Bristol Braille and the Canute. But we really took off uh, 2019, 2020, and particularly over the pandemic, running lots of remote sessions over Zoom, uh, starting off with general pandemic type stuff and then going more towards um, Braille and Braille for beginners and Braille based masterclasses. And we now have quite the reputation for running Braille based uh, masterclasses. We've done sessions on Braille on iOS. There's an ongoing series on that at the moment. Uh, Braille on the Kindle Fire. Um, Braille on Android, choosing Braille displays, setting up Braille embossers, and some more um, low-key type stuff. We did a session on Braille labelling. Um, what else have we done? Uh, grade 3 Braille, all the sort of quirky stuff, drawing pictures with your Perkins. So it, we've got quite a reputation for that. This session is going to be talking about Braille technology in everyday life. We're going to try and demonstrate in this session that, number one, Braille in some form is useful to everyone. We're going to try and demonstrate that Braille is getting more and more mainstream. So whereas a lot of people would think, oh, well, you know, Braille's kind of, you know, dying out. Actually, it isn't. It's getting more and more popular and more and more universal. And we're going to try and demonstrate that the cost of Braille and the cost of Braille technology is decreasing. It's getting cheaper. It's getting more affordable. I'm going to run it basically in three segments. There'll be opportunities to ask questions at the end of each segment. Um, if you've got questions while I'm talking, it would probably be handy if you could just pop them in the chat. And I think Lucy said that she'll read the chat for me. Um, otherwise, yeah, wait till I've finished and then uh, I'll announce when there's time for questions. Then you can come in and ask whatever questions you want to ask and I'll do my best to answer them. Um, the final thing, just before I carry on, is to point out that this is really an overview session. Um, as I've said, the Braillist Foundation are very good at running masterclasses. 
They are all archived. Brailcast.com or brailist.org slash media will give you a good overview of what's uh, what of, of things here. And then there'll be more information if you want to go and find it uh, on our website. So before I actually go and start talking about how Braille is useful for everyone, I should perhaps actually spend a few minutes talking about why Braille, because there are still people who would say, well, yes, but I mean, Braille's kind of had its day really. And it was, you know, it was invented 150 years ago and now there's technology and, uh, you know, and, and so we go on. So why is Braille so important anyway? There are a, a whole host of reasons. If I was talking to a primarily education audience, I would talk about literacy. I'd talk about the importance of reading versus listening. And I'd talk about the importance of, you know, good spelling and capital letters and knowing what punctuation comes where, you know, the difference between a colon and a semicolon and a comma and a full stop and being able to read all of that sort of stuff. When do you use speech marks? When do you not use speech marks? For this audience, on a slightly sort of more, more functional level than that, basic stuff like being discreet and being private, um, not having to wear headphones to hear what's going on or not having to have your speech up loud so other people can hear. I don't know if anyone's ever been in an assistance lounge at Birmingham New Street Station while people have been trying to send text messages and you've heard one person's voiceover read a text message while you've heard some other person dictating their message and Siri got it wrong and the exasperation of having to go back and edit that, you know? Um, every technology has its place, but Braille really has its place in terms of just, as I say, being discreet. If you can read what you're doing and you can write in Braille, you avoid so many of those problems. You also avoid looking antisocial. If I was producing, if I was presenting this presentation in person and I needed to follow my notes with speech, I would have to have headphones in, which is fine, I guess. But by putting headphones in, I then can't pay attention to what's going on in the room. I can't hear if people are rustling their papers, uh, you know, or fidgeting about and getting bored. I can't hear any of that and I can't see it either. So by reading in Braille, I can keep my attention on the room uh, and and read my notes, not have to look antisocial by putting headphones in. Similarly, I sing in the choir at Coventry Cathedral. I would not want to stand in the choir stalls with my headphones on, listening to speech tell me what to do. I want to read it because it looks more normal, it looks less antisocial. It means I can hear what the musicians are saying around me and singing around me, and it's just a much more immersive experience if I can take those headphones off. Braille doesn't require batteries. This is an interesting comment, actually, because some Braille does. If you're using a Braille display, of course it requires batteries. But at its most basic level, if we're talking about things like labeling and stuff like this, um, you imagine it, you've had a long day at work or a long day uh, doing whatever, you know, you've come home, it's six o'clock in the evening, you want to get something out of the cupboard, your phone's dead, your pen friend needs new batteries, what are you going to do? Well, you could go down to the corner shop and get some new batteries, assuming that you know where the corner shop is and assuming that the corner shop is still open. But you're tired, you're frustrated, it's been a long day, that's not really what you want to do. If you've got things labelled in Braille, you don't have this problem. You can just go and read the Braille label and work out what it is. And you don't have to worry about, OK, well, I've got to put new batteries in the pen, friend, or I've got to charge my phone up first or or any of these sorts of things. And you can you can be charging your phone up while you're doing something else. Um, and similarly, you know, going around hotels and public buildings where there is signage in Braille, if the signage in Braille and you can read it, 
and you've just got to the hotel and your phone's on 15% and you really need to save that last 15% for important stuff. You don't really want to be using your camera with seeing AI on all the time uh, to be able to read the room signs. So if you can if you can avoid that, if you can read the Braille signs instead, you're at a huge advantage. Along those lines, it's easy to add to things. And I'm thinking about card games and things like this where, you know, if you can imagine, I mean, you know, trying to play cards while you've got to use your phone to scan what cards you've got and potentially voiceovers then telling everybody else around the table what cards you've got as well and kind of giving the game away. You know, the poker face is useless in that sort of situation. Whereas if you've got Braille cards, then you can read those cards and they're the same cards that everybody else is using, but with, with Braille uh, and print on them so that everybody can join in and the whole thing is, is universal. And of course, we're talking about Braille and speech. And I mean, obviously, you know, Braille and speech can work hand in hand for a lot of people. The one group where it can't work hand in hand are deafblind people who absolutely rely on Braille as an absolute lifeline. If you can't hear, then it doesn't matter how good voiceover speech is, you're not going to be hearing it. It's a real lifeline for people who are deafblind and we must never, ever forget that. Probably the biggest argument against Braille is that it's difficult to learn. There is an element of truth to that. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. It's not as difficult to learn as people might think, but yes, okay, it might take you a while to learn it. I think the, the difference between Braille and technology in that sense is that technology has shortcuts where Braille doesn't. And so actually you can do things with technology, like you can teach people how to make a phone call on an iPhone without ever teaching somebody how to use the iPhone. You can do, you know, you, you can say, right, okay, um, press this button, tap here on the screen, double tap, tap here on the screen and type your numbers in. And they don't know why that works. They just know that it works. And that's what you can't achieve with Braille. You have to know Braille before you can really use Braille and make the most of it. But really what I'm trying to get at is that actually teaching technology like that is no good either because all that happens is an iOS upgrade happens or a new app is installed or something and it breaks the process that you've taught them and then you have this self-fulfilling perpetuous cycle of people coming back to you going look I don't know how to do this. You could teach them how to send an email and then a Windows update comes along or a Gmail update comes along or whatever it happens to be and it breaks it and you've got to teach them a whole new process. If you taught people technology as methodically as we have to teach people Braille, number one, it would take just as long in the first place. And number two, you would have far fewer technical support calls when there's a Windows update because people would be able to apply deductive reasoning and work this stuff out for themselves. So the only reason why technology is easier to teach than Braille is because we're not teaching technology properly, I'm afraid. So I wanna move on and talk about why Braille is useful to everyone. And I do mean that people talk about lack of sensitivity and they say, well, I can't learn Braille because I worked, uh, you know, I worked in a factory all my life and my, my tactile sensitivity is just not good enough to read Braille. Again, there's an element of truth to this. There's probably not as much truth in it as, as people might think, but Braille is literally useful to everyone. And I'm going to demonstrate this with a piece of very, very low tech tech, which is not even tech. I mean, I don't know why I put it in a tech session really, but go with it. It's the Braille label gun, what we, what we, call the Dymo gun, but it's not actually a Dymo gun. It's, it's not made by Dymo. Costs $34.99 and a pack of 10 rolls of labeling tape for it costs £16.50. If each label was five centimeters long, that would be uh, 700 labels 
and it'd be about 2.4 pence per label. Compare that to the pen friend, which is well over double the price. The pen friend is £81.99 and £13 for 381 labels. So that's 3.4 pence per label. And then of course the cost of the batteries. So, you know, it's a lot cheaper to label in Braille to begin with. I'm gonna hold the Braille labeler up to the uh, camera. Hopefully you can see it looks like a Dymo labeler, like a traditional print Dymo labeler. And there's a dial, it's got A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, and so on around it. And it's got that in print and in Braille. And the, the, the principle is, I'll just, you, you move the dial round to where it says M, and you squeeze the trigger and M is brailled. And you move it back round to where it says A, and then you move it round to where it says T. And it's slow, don't get me wrong, it's slow, but a sighted person with no knowledge of braille whatsoever could make a braille label for somebody who does have knowledge of braille. So for example, um, if somebody has a support worker, a Tesco shop has arrived, the support worker could then label up that Tesco shop for the blind person if the blind person wasn't comfortable using something like seeing AI in order to do that. So it can be used by blind people and sighted people alike. Sighted people could use it to label all sorts of things, birthday cards, Christmas presents, you know, all of that sort of thing. The labels don't have to be long. I use this all the time when I'm doing batch cooking. Um, so I'll cook a big pan of bolognese and a big pan of sweet and sour pork and I'll, there'll be about 10 portions and I'll freeze nine of them. And, uh, and so it goes on. And I don't have to write spaghetti bolognese on each label. That would be a lot of labeling. B-O-L is sufficient. S-S-P for sweet and sour pork. C-W-W for chicken in white wine. That's all you need to do as long as it's distinctive. That's, that's really all that you need to do. So you actually can. When I said about a label only being five centimeters long, that is, that is very achievable. And if somebody doesn't know Braille, I refer you to the new banknotes where there are two letter G's on the £10 note and three letter G's on the £20 note. And they're not letter G's for any particular reason other than they're a square of dots and you can count the squares, you know? Even if you don't know Braille, you can count whether there's two or whether there's three or whether there's none, you know, in the case of the £5 note. And you can apply a similar technique here. So you could have the letter A, which is very distinctive, um, or you could have the letter L, which is also very distinctive, and the letter T, which is very distinctive. All of those letters are extremely distinctive. And you could do, say, well, if it's got two letter A's, it's this thing. If it's got three letter A's, it's this thing. If it's got two letter T's, it's this thing. If it's got three letter T's, it's the other. And you could develop a system which is not proper Braille as such, but it's using Braille. And even people who have absolutely no idea about Braille and whose you know, dexterity, their, their tactile sensitivity is limited, would hopefully be able to take advantage of some of a system like that. And of course, then there could also be things where you don't apply a label at all. And you can say, if there's no label on it, then you can assume it's baked beans. Um, so, you know, it, it really is useful to anybody, I think. The other thing I'd say, and I've sort of touched on this, but I'll touch on it again, because I think it's important. Having said all that I've said about Braille, I'm not actually saying that Braille is the 
be all and end all and that Braille will entirely replace something or that, that Braille should entirely replace something. If I'm talking about very short labels, of course, there's going to be information that will not fit or that's difficult to, to, to attach. Now, I'm thinking cooking instructions, um, expiry dates, all this sort of thing will be difficult to apply um, in Braille. But acquiring that information by other means is time consuming. When I first get a shop from Tesco's, I can find, you know, I can go on and I can use Seeing AI and I can identify the products, but it might take me half a minute to a minute to find the barcode, to scan the barcode, to get the information, to read through all of the junk that's in there to actually tell me the bit of information that I need. So using Seeing AI is fine in order to identify the product. I'll then stick a Braille label on it so that next time I don't have to use Seeing AI. And so I only have to go through that process once. So I'm not saying that Braille replaces Seeing AI. I'm saying that Braille enhances it. It adds an extra level of security to it. It saves time in the long run. It, it's, not, it, it's not necessarily a, a complete replacement. It just, just enhances it. So I've... Uh, talked for nearly 20 minutes and I've talked to you about the Braille labeler and I've talked to you about why Braille and I'll move on to talk about Braille screen input and other such things like this and go a bit more high tech in the next part of the session. Before I do that, um, I want to know if anyone's got any comments or questions or responses or wants to agree or disagree with anything that I've said or wants to ask anything. So I'll uh, go back to Lucy and see if there's anything in the chat and then we'll see if anybody wants to unmute and ask anything. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, there was one in the chat from Jeff who asked, um, do you know anything about the correlation between Braille use and employability and employment? Yeah, it's a really good question. There is evidence and I'm not sure where the evidence is, so I, I'm hesitant to cite it. But there's definitely been research done to show that people who know Braille are more likely to be employed uh, then uh, you know, blind people who know Braille are more likely to be employed than blind people who don't know Braille. Now, I'm, I'm deliberately saying no Braille rather than use Braille because I've had conversations with blind people who don't necessarily use Braille in daily life. You know, they, they do most of their emails through speech that, you know, Braille in the workplace doesn't kind of really happen. And they've said, well, this this is not true then because, well, you know, I have... Um, I don't use Braille and I have a job. So, you know, I, I'm not talking about using Braille. I'm talking about learning Braille. I'm talking about knowing Braille. I'm talking about having particularly people who've been born blind, people who have, you know, Braille will teach you spatial awareness. Braille will teach you the importance of page numbers. It will teach you the importance of running headers and running footers. It will teach you the importance of paragraphing. And as I say, good spelling and grammar and short verses, long sentences and all of this sort of thing. So even if you learn Braille in school, and you never touch Braille again, you'll have built those foundations, which will then lead you to successful employment. And hopefully, you know, over time you will touch Braille again because you'll find uses for it, even if they're uses that you don't sort of realize are uses at the time. But yes, it's about the knowledge of Braille and it's about embedding Braille rather than actual day-to-day -day usage of Braille. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Jeff, you got your hand up. Hi, hi, Matthew. Um, I take your point that some people have a job and they don't use Braille. All I would say, probably particular in, dare I say, higher level employment, you can't ease, you know, if a colleague of yours wants to have a talk to you about something that's quite complicated in the next 10 minutes, 
you can braille that or use a paperless device and go and talk to them. You can follow an agenda without obviously skipping and scanning through the speech. Um, you know, th there must be good reasons why sighted people haven't given, given up the printed word and it's comparable. I would agree with that. Um, and I think it's about tools in the toolbox as well, isn't it? It's about, you know, somebody might actually find Braille slow. Somebody might genuinely find that actually they would prefer to read that agenda with speech. And if they've, if they've been taught Braille and they've made a conscious decision not to use it, that's a conscious decision that they've made. And I'm quite happy to respect that decision. What I find not good is the fact that a lot of people don't have the ability to make that conscious decision because the decision is made for them that they're not going to learn Braille. And that really is, is what is sad about it. Right. Um, Nicoletta. Hello, I'm Nicoletta from Sight Scotland. Um, thank you so much. It's so interesting to me. Um, I really know quite a little about Braille. So it's, yeah, it's very useful. Um, one of the things we're looking at is around access to QTVIs. Um, we run the Royal Blind School in Edinburgh. Um, and I was wondering, is, is it through school that that's the main way that people can learn Braille? Or if you haven't had the opportunity to learn at school, where, where are you likely to come across the opportunity to, to learn it perhaps later on in life? Yes, if you are in school, it's a lot easier, I think, to learn Braille than if you are not in school, because as you say, hopefully uh, QTVIs will know Braille and will be able to teach it. There are actually uh, political problems there in terms of there's a lack of funding for QTVIs and so actually QTVIs may not wish to teach Braille if they can help it because they might not be able to properly support people learning Braille. But yes, I mean, fundamentally, if you need to learn Braille and you're at school, then you will learn Braille while you're at school. Once you've left school, you're at the mercy of adult social care and local societies for the blind and it really does become a postcode lottery. And one of the things that we're trying to do at the Braillists Foundation is to change that. We are currently in the middle of running a Braille for Beginners course. We're so far through it now that we've had to close it to new registrants. But we're looking at you know running more Braille for Beginners courses in the future, possibly running a self-service uh, option, possibly you know, if there's a self-service option, then local authorities could take that self-service option and run with it and and run it as, as a Braille course in their local authority. But yeah, it, it really is a postcode lottery and there really are enormous gaps. And really, the answer to a lot of these problems, I'm afraid, is money. And money is in short supply at the moment. Great, thank you. Um, No more questions at the moment, unless anyone quickly wants to jump off mute. Um, so if not, yeah, please feel free to go on to your next section, Matthew. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for all of those questions. They've been very uh, interesting and not the sorts of questions that I was expecting, but it's been wonderful to have them. I'm going to move on to something much more high tech, um, but equally useful. And I'm trying to prove in this particular part of the session that Braille is becoming more, I've used the word ubiquitous, but I mean, I mean, it's not, you know, people see Braille as this very niche thing. And the thing is, to a certain extent, it will always be a niche thing because, you know, we're blind and only blind people use Braille. So, yes, OK, it's, it's going to be niche, but it's a lot less niche now than it was. And that is in large part due to something that's available on every iPhone since iOS 8, I think. Yes, I've written it down. iOS 8. So it was released in 2014. 
So if you have an iPhone that's older than 2014, then uh, congratulations for keeping it running. That's all I can say. Um, but it's a feature called Braille Screen Input. So Braille Screen Input, as the name suggests, um, literally will replace the on-screen keyboard on your iPhone with a six dot or an eight dot in the case of an iPad uh, Braille keyboard. And it's a, it's a virtual keyboard, you, know, you could, but you can put six fingers on the screen and you can Braille on the screen using the six fingers. If you're a good Braille writer, this can be much, much, much faster than using the on-screen keyboard. Um, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm a QWERTY typist. You know, I can touch type at 120 words a minute if I'm not being careful. And yet touch typing on the iPhone on the on-screen keyboard is a painful experience. You know, I can Braille on the iPhone using Braille screen input, not quite at 120 words per minute, but I'm definitely getting there and it's significantly quicker than using the on-screen keyboard. Um, for the Braille readers in the audience, it works with grade one and grade two and SEB and UEB. So you don't have to have learnt grade two in order to use Braille screen input. You can use it with grade one if you want to. Um, it doesn't require any extra device. This is built into the phone. So people have said, well, why would you use Braille screen input if you could use, say, an external Bluetooth QWERTY keyboard? And it's a fair question, but a Bluetooth QWERTY keyboard, it goes back to what I was saying about batteries. You know, it, what happens if the batteries run out on the keyboard? You've got to remember to turn the keyboard on. You've got to hope that when you turn the keyboard on, it pairs up to the phone properly in the first place. Um, you've got to hope that uh, you've actually got space to carry the keyboard, space to use the keyboard. I have a, a Bluetooth keyboard. It's wonderful. Um, you know, if I'm on a train and I've got a table in front of me, um, I'll quite happily get the QWERTY keyboard out and send some emails. But, you know, sometimes there just isn't a, a table or sometimes I'm standing at a bus stop and it's raining and I need to send a message and I don't want to pull my keyboard out because I don't know how waterproof my keyboard is. So there are all sorts of reasons why you probably wouldn't want to use an external device. And it's more private than dictating and it allows for more accurate input of, you know, the obscure stuff, you know, punctuation. So um, the first time I really used Braille screen input was in 2015. Um, I just started going out with a sighted girl and um, we had a wonderful relationship. But, you know, she would send me text messages and expect, uh, well, she would send me text messages with smiley faces in them or sad faces in them. And I felt like I owed it to her to put smiley faces and sad faces back, you know, to, to sort of, you know, be normal or as normal as I could be in that sort of environment. And Braille screen input allowed me to do that because I could do a colon and a right bracket and a colon and a left bracket, which were not quite the smiley faces that we know nowadays, but they were, you know, an acceptable level of compromise of, of smiley face, right? And of course, now you can actually do emojis if you know how to set your phone up to do them. So, um, yeah, there was that. And there was also, you know, just the text messages that you get, you know, when you're in a relationship, you know, so, you know, I, I would get texts saying, you know, how's your day going? And sometimes my day wouldn't be going well. And what I'd actually want to text back is, oh, the boss is driving me mad today. It's a really bad day at work. And when you share an office with your boss and your boss decides she's going to spend the whole day in the office, uh, dictating that text message might be just a little bit awkward because your boss is going to hear what you're saying. So the ability to send that quickly and privately and discreetly was just absolutely invaluable. 
and I got very good at, at using Braille screen input in that time. And, and it's just, it's the default method that I use for everything now. It's ubiquitous on iPhones. There is a feature that is very similar to it on Android. That feature is only recently available. So it may not be available on all Android phones yet. It depends what updates have been pushed and all that sort of thing. And I'm afraid I'm not really an Android expert so uh, I don't know, but it, it is slowly making its way into Android. So if it's not in Android yet, it, it will be soon. I want to demonstrate Braille screen input to you. This is very difficult because on the one hand, you want to see what my fingers are doing. And on the other hand, you want to see what happens on the iPhone screen. So I've used a feature of the iPhone called screen recording. And this will allow you to see the iPhone screen. And I've recorded a bit of commentary uh, on, on what it is that I'm doing. And I'm going to show that video now. So this, the video that I'm going to show is a video of my iPhone screen and me talking over it. Once that video is done, I will repeat exactly the same demonstration live so that you can see what my fingers are doing. And hopefully that will give you a good sense of how Braille screen input works. I mean, it won't, you know, it's not a step-by-step -step tutorial, but hopefully it'll give you a sense of what it is that you need to expect. Hello Selected. and welcome to this screen brief demonstration button. of Braille screen input. I'm going to swipe up from the bottom of the screen. Messages. Message. Text field. Is editing. iMessage. Insertion point at start. Okay, so here I am Actions in a available. blank message to Lucy Williams. I think we all know who Lucy Williams is. And uh, I'm using voiceover. Hopefully the speech rate is slow enough for you. And if Screen I rotate around to the left. Mentions. Misspelled words. Edit. Braille screen input. Orientation locked. Landscape. Tabletop mode. Contracted. So there's a lot of information that it said there, but the salient point is that I'm now in Braille screen input mode. And if I put my phone into landscape, you should be able to see there is a Perkins keyboard on the screen and I can use six fingers on this Perkins keyboard to type. So I'm going to type, hello. Hello. Lucy. Lucy. This is a demonstration of Braille screen input. This is a demonstration of Braille screen input. I hope you like it. And just for fun, I'll do a smiley face. Capital I hope you like it. Translated smiley. Now I could um, swipe up with three fingers at this point to send the message, but I just want to check that it's actually come out properly. So I can rotor back round to the left again. Portrait. And that's taken me out of Braille screen input. And if I swipe right. Send. Button. That's the send button, so I'll swipe left. Message. One possible mention. Lucy. Text field. Is editing. Hello, Lucy. This is a demonstration of Braille screen input. I hope you like it, Smiley. Insertion point at end. Okay, so if there was a mistake in that, I could go back and edit the mistake. There isn't a mistake, so I could at this point go and send that message. Okay, so now it's crunch time. Now... <laughs> Now I've got to do this demo live. Um, so hopefully you can hear my phone. Um, as a blind person, you have an advantage here because you'll know what's on the screen because you'll be able to hear what voiceover is doing. Um, or you can Try see me. Again. Oh, whoops. Doc. WhatsApp. What's going on Doc. here? Messages. There we go. Let's One go to messages. Me 
Messages. Message. Text field. Is editing. iMessage. Yeah. Insertion point. So if you think back to, hopefully you can see me holding the phone up to the camera. That's my phone. And I'm in the point at which I've, I've. if you remember back to the video, you could see um, the, the message to Lucy on the screen. I'm in the blank message. So if I wrote a background. Men, miss, edit. Braille screen input. Orientation locked. Landscape. Tabletop mode. Contracted. So that's where I was at the point at which I was typing. And I'll just quickly type the same message so you can see how quickly I was actually doing it. Um, hi, hi, Lucy. Lucy. This. This is a demonstration of Braille. Ah, I've made a mistake. Screen input. Screen input. Braille. Screen input. Capital I. Hope you like it. Translated. And I'll put the smiley face smiley. in. And just to prove that it worked, I will actually send it this time. Send portrait message text. I just got to hope I sent it to the right Lucy Williams. That's that's going to be embarrassing, isn't it? Hopefully Lucy will get the message and will will tell me that it's been sent and and received successfully. And yes, it did. It did. Yeah. It came yeah. through. There you go. So I don't know um, how useful that was. I don't know how well you could see my fingers or or what I was doing. But that's essentially. Um, all I've got to say at this point. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to take questions and comments. And uh, hopefully, if anything didn't work quite right, the questions and the comments will uh, will bring that out. That was great. Thank you. I'm quite privileged to be a, a part of the demonstration. Um, nothing else in the chat. If anyone has any questions, please feel free to just unmute and say it out loud or pop it in the chat. Um, it's not a question. Just thank you so much for, for demonstrating that. I find that so interesting. I think I've, I understand how that works completely now. So thank you. Thanks, Nicoletta. That's no problem. I'm glad it was useful. Hi, Matthew. It's Nadia. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask, do you have to have your fingers in a particular position? Like um, from what I remember, you have the one, two, three, four, five, six, but you have to have your fingers on that position. But what if you can't see those numbers? Okay, that's a very, very good question. Um, there is a way. So you, reasonably speaking, you do have to have your fingers in the right positions, right? If you've got dots one, two and three so far over to the right hand side of the screen, that there's no room for dots four, five and six. Obviously, that's not going to work terribly well. That's that's a fair point. However, there is a mode if you uh, tap dots four, five, six first, followed immediately by dots one, two, three. So it's quite a quick, you know, tap, tap. Uh, thing that will recalibrate the position of the dots to where your fingers are so within reason you don't have to have them exactly in the right place because you can recalibrate and if you're not good at keeping your fingers in the same place I mean I've been using braille screen input for like I say probably about seven years now so I'm quite good at putting my fingers in the right place but I mean you know if you're not good at that you could just get into the habit of of, of calibrating every time you use it and most of the time that will sort the problem out Hiya, it's uh, Andrew um, from Galloway's Society for the Blind. Hiya, Matthew. Great talk. Really enjoying it. Um, I, I, I actually um, believe that, like, I'm registered severely sight impaired, and um, I believe that when I was a child, I should have learnt Braille. Um, I think that's kind of a, an oversight, really, from uh, from the school um, and, and the advice I was getting. You know, um, in terms of it, it was probably some of it was down to my decision as well not to learn Braille, having having some sight. But now as I've grown older, um, I'm 36 now, 
I know that what you're talking about when you're doing a presentation or when you, you, you're reading to people, um, I now know that that presentation style that I want to adapt, ad adopt is not always possible because I'm either listening to something or I, I've either got, you know, an iPad or something with large print really close to my face, which isn't, which isn't great really. So yeah, I kind of feel sad in, in a way. I don't know if it, it's not too late for me to learn Braille, but I'm not, I'm not there yet, but um, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Uh, and I, I actually believe um, and anyone, especially anyone that's severely sight impaired should definitely be encouraged to learn Braille. Well, I mean, I'm, uh, Obviously, sorry to hear the experience that you've had, but equally uh, glad that you're able to recognise that Braille would be useful to you. It's it's always uh, it's a bit bittersweet when I hear comments like that, because on the one hand, I think, yes, that's a great promotion for Braille. And on the other hand, it's such a shame that you didn't learn it at, a, at an earlier age. It's not too late to learn Braille. Um, keep in touch with the Braillists, uh, braillists.org. And when we run future Braille for Beginners courses, you know, you'd be very welcome to come along to those. Um, you know that we don't charge for them. Uh, we've got some grant funding to make them available free of charge, so you know, there's there's no cost implication there. Um, they're quite basic courses, you know. So I mean, if you wanted to carry on and learn, we, we we'll teach you grade one. If you wanted to carry on and grade learn grade two, you might have to pay sort of fifty pound or so for fingerprint or something to carry on with that journey. But yeah, um, the other thing that that comes up and. I'm sort of glad you said it because it allows me to say something else that I meant to say earlier on and I forgot. The skill of Braille writing and Braille reading are slightly different skills um, and you can learn to master one without learning to master the other. And I think that's quite important in the case of Braille screen input because if we talk about older people and older people who've worked in factories whose fingers can't read Braille, they'll be told, look, you, there's no point you learning Braille because you can't read it. And that, look, that may in fact be fair enough in that instance, they're never gonna be able to read Braille. But if they could only learn to write Braille, even if they couldn't read it, they would be able to take advantage of Braille screen input and other you know, technologies like that. There's the Habel One, which Sight and Sound will talk about towards the end of the month. You know, All of that stuff, you don't need to be writing, to read Braille in order to use those. And likewise, you know, maybe, writing braille is a bit beyond you because you haven't got the, the dexterity to do it but you've got enough tactile sensitivity to read braille you're still going to be able to read hotel signs and stuff so just because you can't do one doesn't necessarily mean you can't do the other and if you can only master one it's still useful thanks matthew it's no problem thank you both um jeff you got your hand up go ahead i have um i just want to say two words and then decode them so normalization and parents so if I go back to normalization, some of you will know that there was quite um, a body of writing which spoke about normalization, which was initially aimed at people with learning disability. But what happened is that lots of teachers and schools applied this and they seemed to view difference as lesser. So the fact that you need different skills and you're differently able as a disabled person was often discounted. And the other thing I still wonder about, and I've heard it mentioned in other contexts as parents, what we know there are organizations that look after the needs of parents of visually impaired um, children, but I'm not sure that they always understand that Braille is in fact an equivalent, although very different from print, and it has its place and it's not stigmatizing and it's a skill to be celebrated, let alone how it contributes to employability. 
Mm. In a previous job, uh, I was the Braille transcriber at Exel Grange School. And uh, it was a fabulous job and uh, I was very sorry to leave it. Um, but not long before I was due to leave, I was sent a difficult parent. And this would happen from time to time and I would tow the party line. But I didn't feel the need to tow the party line on this occasion because, well, I was going to be leaving, so it didn't really matter. I was sent this difficult parent and the difficult parent said, I feel like because you want to teach my son Braille, it's turning off his eyes. And I don't want him to turn off his eyes because his eyes are, are, are the normal bit of him. Oh, that's interesting. And my response, because I didn't feel the need to toe the party line, uh, and it, it worked, which is why I'm telling you about it. Um, my response was actually to acknowledge the point. I said, yes, that, that's exactly what we're doing. We're turning off his eyes. We're allowing him not to use his eyes for a bit and to use his fingers. And won't he appreciate that when at the end of the day, he can turn his eyes back on again and they can look at the cars coming and he'll be able to safely cross the road because you bet if he's using his eyes all day to read large print, by the time he gets to the end of the day, they're going to be so tired that they're not going to work terribly well for him. And that completely changed that parent's outlook and and parent was, was then very happy for the child to learn Braille. But yeah, it is interesting how different people perceive it and trying to do work around, you know, changing those perceptions. It's just a great big ongoing job. Yeah, thanks. Um, Caroline, go ahead. Hi, sorry, I don't want to go off, off topic here, but um, I, I work for guide dogs, but my daughter's actually deaf and she had a really similar thing in school with sign language where mm -hmm. she was, I was told she shouldn't learn sign language because mm -hmm. it'll make her speech um, not as developed. And in actual, hap what happened was her speech developed quick, more quickly because she was able to use the sign language to, same as you said about Braille, embedding things like grammar and English and things like that, that helped with that. So it helped, but I was definitely um, told that it wouldn't be good for her. So it sounds like a really similar thing in, a, in the sensory world. It's really interesting. Mm. I think sadly it goes back to money. You know, um, there is no money to teach Braille, especially now that people are in mainstream schools, you know, I mean, I, I, Exor Grange used to manage and I think still does manage the peripatetic service for children in mainstream schools across Warwickshire. Exor Grange was based on the north side of Coventry, so very close to Nuneaton and Bedworth. And yet we were supporting children as far south as Stratford-upon-Avon. It could feasibly take an hour for a QTVI to get from base all the way over to Stratford and then their next pupil might be in Nuneaton so it's going to take them an hour to get back and we're doing this on three QTV well was it no I think it was four QTVIs three of whom were part-time you know I mean it's just absolutely ridiculous how on earth are you going to support braille teaching on that extremely low level structure under those conditions you know they never thought oh well we better put a base in Stratford and have a QTVI permanently working out there you know, it's it's utterly ludicrous. And of course, so of course, people are going to try and, and dissuade you from learning Braille because they look at their workload and they think, oh, no, I've, it's hard enough to go over to this school once a month to, to put the work in there, let alone if I've got to go across once, twice, three times a week to embed Braille. It's just it, it, it's impossible. You know, they, they would never cope if everybody who needed Braille was taught Braille. So the, it really does go back, I think, to that to, to funding. And if there was more money and more teachers and teachers were enthusiastic about teaching Braille, then Braille would come. Absolutely. Um, okay, no more questions at the moment. Um, if, yeah, if there was a final part, Matthew. Yeah, sure. 
um, I just wanted to talk about the Orbit Reader. Um, and the writer. And the writer. But I wanted to specifically talk about the Orbit Reader because people talk about Braille displays and I wonder how many people in here know what a Braille display is to start with. Um, it's essentially, it's, a, it's an electronic product. It has um, rows of pins. Um, so if you imagine a six dot Braille cell, it's got one dots one and four at the top, two and five in the middle and three and six at the bottom. So it's got three rows of pins and there's also a fourth row of pins that shows, you know, formatting information and that sort of thing in you know, eight dot cells. But anyway, there's these rows of pins and they pop up and down electronically and they form Braille cells. The Orbit Reader is one such device. I'm talking particularly about the Orbit Reader 20 and actually, in fact, I'm talking about the Orbit Reader 20 Plus now because the original Orbit Reader I don't think is uh, available anymore. But anyway, um, the Orbit Reader is one such display. It has 20 Braille cells. So it's displaying 20 characters at a time. Obviously, Braille is not uh, straightforward one-to-one, -one, you know, so I mean if somebody's learnt grade 2 Braille, those 20 characters might correspond, if you're lucky, to maybe 25 or 30 characters of print, but that's about the maximum of what you're able to get on a 20-cell display. But nonetheless, we've got used to this as Braillists, and we're, we're actually quite good at, uh, at working with that little information in, in one go. The Orbit Reader also has a Braille keyboard on it. So I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it where my face is and hopefully that means that you can all see it. Um, I'm actually holding it um, through 90 degrees so you can see the Braille input keyboard there. Uh, it's got dots uh, 3, 2, 1, 4, 5, 6. It's got a up, down, left, right and the center button like a little joystick thing and uh, across the bottom it's got the space, the backspace and the enter and then there's the Braille display. Um, if I turn it round so it's it's actually pointing the way it should be pointing and hopefully you can you can see that it's kind of where my chin is okay so that's the orientation in which you would normally use it with 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 the top face of it pointing towards the ceiling so the braille keyboard and the braille display point up towards the ceiling um so that's it so i mean look you could actually use this i've, I've just talked about braille screen input if you've got somebody who really is struggling with finger placement you could connect this up to an iPhone and use it uh, in place of Braille screen input if you wanted to. It's an extra device, but you could do it. Um, this machine costs uh, about 60% cheaper than any other comparable display on the market. So it costs £675. So it's still not cheap. But the next sort of equivalent display, if you like, is the Brilliant BI-20X from Humanware, and that costs £1,650. So it's £1,000 cheaper than, than the next equivalent. There are cheaper displays. There are things like the Focus 14, but the Focus 14 only has 40 cells. The, the Brilliant and the Orbit have 20 cells, which is why I'm making that comparison. Um, there are a lot of Orbit readers in the UK. RNIB has gr enormous stocks of Orbit readers. There are grants available, so people don't even have to pay 675 for them. You know, library members in the past have had them for free. Uh, young people have been able to get them through Victor for about £40. So there really is an, a huge injection of Orbit readers into the market at the moment. And if you're wondering what the catch is, um, there is a catch, um, but it's a very minor catch. The, the speed at which the braille dots refresh 
and the loudness that those braille dots have. So you might be aware or you might not be aware that actually I've been following this presentation, I've been following my notes on a traditional braille display, which is the, I've got the Braillink BI40X, which has 40 cells. And you won't really have heard that. You might have heard my computer keyboard from time to time, but you won't really have heard the braille display popping up. I'm just, I'm scrolling the display now. If you listen very carefully, you might just hear the display. I'm going to turn the orbit reader on and you can hear how the orbit reader sounds by comparison. So I'm now in a book called Peter Pan. I'm on page 32, chapter three, come away, come away. For a moment after Mr. and Mrs. Darling left the house, the night lights by the beds of the three children continued to burn clearly. So I'm reading that so that you can hear the volume of my voice compared to the volume of the braille display. They were awfully nice little night lights, and one cannot help wishing that they could have, uh, what does that even say? <laughs> kept, sorry, kept awake to see Peter. And so it goes on, but you can hear it, it's quite loud. Um, it's fine, if you're doing leisure reading, that's, that's absolutely fine. If you're doing presentations, where there's a microphone and that microphone's a bit sensitive, you might not want to be using something like that. If you're in a church context and you're using it for Bible readings, you might want to be um, a bit a bit careful. But yes, I mean, it, it works. That's the biggest catch. If that catch doesn't bother you, there's really no reason why you shouldn't um, have an orbit reader. Um, it, it, it's, it's a perfectly functional display. You can use it either standalone or you can use it in conjunction with an iPhone. So I've talked about using it as a replacement for braille screen input. If I connect it to my phone, I can actually fully control my phone and it will show in braille what's happening on the iPhone screen. And so this is particularly useful if I'm in a noisy environment or an environment where I don't want to look like I'm on my phone all the time. So let's say we're going out for dinner. We've chosen a restaurant. Unfortunately, it's quite busy. It's quite noisy. And I want to look at the restaurant menu. So I can do that, you know, I can log on to the restaurant's website on my phone. I can find the menu, but then I'm going to be antisocial for a bit while I sit and scroll through the menu and I can't hear what people are saying to me. And I might have to turn voiceover up so that I can hear voiceover. But that means the rest of the table can also hear voiceover and they might not want to hear the restaurant menu because they're busy reading it for themselves, you know, um, to be able to have it in Braille, you know, the orbit paired to my phone so I can read that, you know, discreetly. And if somebody wants to ask me a question, my ears aren't blocked up by voiceover. So, you know, I can turn around and answer that question. I mean, that's just, it, it's liberating when you can do things like that. And of course, you know, if you're studying and there's a book available on Kindle and it's not available in hard copy Braille, you know, pair it with your iPhone. That's fine. You've, you've got the book available in Braille at your fingertips. And of course, there are books that are available on an SD card that you can pop into the back and, and read them locally if that's what you want to do. And it's a bit of a pen and paper. There are other pen and paper alternatives like the slate and stylus, which I'm not really going to cover here. But I mean, you know, I could have this next to the telephone. If, if I'm on the phone and somebody says, look, could you take down this reference number or take down this phone number? Or I've got a message for so-and-so, could you take it down? I could put this orbit reader very easily into a mode where I could just type a quick message and not have to worry about, you know, is the computer turned on? Is it in a point where I can take notes easily? What am I going to do with the notes once I've taken them? How am I going to remember? You know, all of that sort of thing. Great, thank you so much. Um, yes, any questions, please feel free anyone to just 
jump out or, or comments as well, um, please go ahead. Uh, Jeff. Only just to say, thank you, Matthew, for your excellent presentation, but only just to say that there is a cheaper gadget called the Orbit Writer. It's a bit strange in a way. So it's very similar to what Matthew has demonstrated, only surprise, surprise, it doesn't have a Braille display. So someone who knows Braille doesn't like using hand touch gestures or alas, unlike Matthews, as someone who's not skilled with the uh, keyboard input, the soft keyboard input on the phone, I'll clearly have to master that. The Orbit Writer, which is about 130 pounds, I think. Um, so it, as I say, it's, it's a Braille display without the Braille really because it's a writing device. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, that's true. There's quite a few of them. I mean, there's the Orbit Read, there's the Orbit Writer, there's um, Hable One, which I say Stuart Lawler will talk about at the end of February. Um, yeah, do, do you want something that's got a Braille display in it or do you just need something that's got a keyboard on it? Huge thank you, Matthew, for this. Yeah, I certainly learned a lot myself and I think it sounds like everyone else did too, the comments in the chat. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Just to reiterate, braillists.org. Uh, so braillists.org is our website, braillists.org slash media. If you want information, more information about anything that we've covered, um, they, that's where all of our masterclass recordings are. And they, they go into quite some detail. Um, this has been quite a, a low level presentation for me. So uh, yeah, it's worth checking those out. Uh, Braillecast, if you have a podcast app, search for Braillecast uh, in that or go to braillecast.com. That's all one word. And you'll find our podcast, which also has those recordings on it. And it has some quite engaging uh, interviews with people in the Braille industry and Braille product demonstrations and those sorts of things. So uh, that's that's well worth looking at if you'd like more information. And of course, you can email us at help at braillists.org or, you know, anything else like that. Support at braillists.org or reach us. But yes, help at braillists.org is what you want to email if you want to get in touch with us. And that's where my presentation for Visionary ended. Thank you very much for listening to it, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more about Visionary, you can visit their website at www.visionary.org.uk. If you're listening to this presentation and you are a representative of a local blindness organisation, then please do consider looking at the Knowledge Hub, which you can find on that website as part of your Visionary membership, where you'll be able to find a video version of this presentation. Also, if you're listening as part of a local sight loss organisation or a school or a college or any organisation really where you'd like us to deliver a similar presentation, then please do get in touch and we may be able to deliver a presentation along those lines for you. The email address, once again, is help at braylists.org. That's help at braylists.org. For now, though, from myself, Matthew Horsepool and the rest of the Braylists team, thanks very much for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.